Here we are. Here we are. Uh, welcome to the Halfway Podcast, Has. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. from first of all has uh, so i grew up in bexhill which is a tiny town on the south coast of england just down from brighton i lived around that area for about 17 years of yeah. my life and then i ended up moving to swindon and oxfordshire for a while uh lived there for about six seven years then i went to saudi arabia wow bahrain yeah that was interesting uh, and then came back to england and now i'm in, in london crazy i yeah. mean from brighton to saudi arabia that yeah. sounds uh, quite different, I suppose. It was. You know, it was interesting that it was way less different than I expected it to be in some ways. How come? Uh, I guess you hear a lot about Saudi Arabia, right? You, yeah. And it's, it's pictured in your mind as this place that is completely different to the Western world. And yes, of course, there are big changes, obviously, being a Muslim culture. You don't drink alcohol. You have to be very respectful of their, their culture and um, traditions. But at the end of the day, they're just people. Yeah, right. They're yeah, just, wherever you go, yeah. it's just people, and it's the same emotions that drive you. It's the same feelings you have on a day-to-day basis, and you realize we're all just so much more similar than you really expect or realize. Absolutely. And uh, when were you there, by the way? Uh, this was just after the pandemic, so I guess 2021. I was there for about a year. Crazy. Yeah, you hear all about like all these innovations that are currently happening in Saudi Arabia. Oh, that it's, it's a lot. It's their vision yeah. 2030. Um, you know, they're, they're putting so much infrastructure in place, so much stuff to try and make it a, a world stage, try yeah. and make it a, an economy that people want to go to and visit. Um, I think they're doing a good, a good, pretty good job. There's that uh, city of the future, right? Mm-hmm. That the is line. like, have you have you visited nearby there? No, it's still in development. There's nothing, I don't think there's really anything there yet or oh. it's just getting started now. But funnily enough, now a few years later, my sister who works in TV is now filming um, a show for Saudi Arabia that's covering the entire construction project of the li- of the line. Wow! So um, that's kind of come back around again. Which Crazy, you know. I would love to hear about has growing up. I mean, you said that you initially um, were living in Brighton, mm-hmm. right? How was that? Like, do you have any memories uh, of it? You know, like early days of has. Was it? You know, were you were you someone? You know playful you had a lot of toys music <laughs> art so <laughs> i have an interesting i guess journey so i grew up until until about 10 i was this like timid uh shy kid who was probably bullied quite a lot well i was bullied quite a lot there was this kid um i won't name any names but he bullied me and i remember i don't quite know what happened but there was this one day where everything changed and i can't remember what he said to me Um, but like I said I was always this timid kid who would just take it and take it and take it and this one day he had said something and I didn't take it I turned around and I punched him in the face fair Um, (laughs) how old were you by the way I think I was like 10 like I was still in primary school and um, my life changed at that moment I swear where I went from being this timid kid to being someone who was like oh hang on a second I can stand up for myself and I can be not even I guess my own person and just not be pushed around so much yeah Um, yeah and it was like this complete flipping uh, of, of my personality where one 
day I was this quiet kid who sat in the back and never said anything. And then the next day I was like, I just gained this confidence to, I guess, be myself and to um, answer questions in class and do this kind of stuff that I had never really done before. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, one key moment in my childhood. Then I went to a secondary school and I guess the other key moment that happened in my childhood um, that made me somewhat who I am today, uh, for better or for worse, is uh, my dad left uh, when I was about 12. I mean, it happens. Um, Won't go into too many details, but, you know, actually what it meant is that the rest of us as a family really stuck together. Yeah. We all started having to think about earning money and getting into the workplace and, uh, you know, just doing what we could to support the family. And I was super lucky to have a mum that always supported me and always pushed me to just be the best I could be. Um, I was a very independent teenager after that point because like my mum had to go and earn money for the family and had to work super hard. Um, So my brother, my sister and I, we were kind of left to our own devices, uh, which had upsides and downsides. I mean, I think that I had this complete freedom, way more than perhaps another 14 year old or 13 year old would have. You were 14. Uh, Well, I was 12 when that happened and then like sort of in the years following. And um, you were still in Brighton when this happened? Uh, in Bex Hill. In so Bex just Hill. down okay. from Brighton, yeah. Okay. So this situation happened. Uh, your mom is, you know, working a lot. You have siblings. Um, you're 14. Like, what was in your mind? Like, were you like, I need to study hard? Um, <laughs> I need to... So this is the funny thing. I actually went very much... So I was always a good student, but or rather I was a uh, smart kid who got good grades, but I was a pretty bad student. So I would kind of like not take class too seriously. I would never do my homework. Um, And then especially sort of in this stage of my life, I very much became a bit of a rebel. Um, So I started working full time or not full time, but um, let's say more than perhaps some other kids. I got my first job, which was actually in an estate agent selling houses. What? Yeah. (laughs) When you were 14? 14, That was my first job. That's insane. That's like like a massive exposure. It was crazy. It was my first ever exposure to the real world um, and to get out there and and deal with the public and try and... It was so funny. I would obviously do like viewings and you'd be there waiting for these people to show up. I'd walk... It was the only places I could walk to within the town. Yeah. Um, So I'd walk to this flat or house or something and stand out the front ready to go for this viewing. And you'd have some 25-year-old or 35-year-old or 65-year-old couple show up uh, viewing this property and they'd see me standing there in my little suit um, <laughs> as a 14, 15 year old wow. kid. And, you know, th- it, to be honest, a lot of the time they would think, who's, whose kid are you? Are you like the boss's son or something like this? And they and, would ask this to you? Yeah, of course. You, you know, they didn't know what my Christ. situation was. And, you know, I guess you could say that they, they would start from this point of, uh, underestimating yeah. my abilities you could yeah. say but i think also because i was in that situation i knew i had to work super hard versus the other let's say estate agents there because they were much older um they could show up and just bullshit their way through the yeah uh, viewing whereas i had to know my stuff i had Christ. to know everything about that property i had to have the answers to their questions when they asked about the local schools or um you know where i don't, I don't even know doctors nearby or or the amenities or you know, the lease and how long was left or what um, restoration works would need to be done or what building work and how much, let's say, if they wanted to knock down this wall, how much would that cost? And I had to have all of these answers. And actually, it was quite interesting because, yes, they started from this point of view of underestimating or 
you know, just thinking I was this kid who didn't know anything. And by the end of the viewing, they would have completely forgotten how old I was because I could do the job. You know, I had the answers. And I think it, that experience, the main thing that I got, so I worked there for two and a half years in total from 14 through just about 17, I think. And that being a sales role and starting my entire career working in a sales role, I think has just been invaluable to my life because I learned what sales is. I learned that sales isn't trying to get someone to buy something. Sales is trying to understand what they want to buy and helping them find whatever it is. Please and write that down and yeah. send it to all of our <laughs> listeners. Oh my God. No, it's true. Like, you know, you, people see sales as this like combative conversation. And in reality, it shouldn't be. It should always be collaborative. It should be like, can I give you what you're looking for or, or not? And if you can't, then help them find someone who can. Um, you know, the amount of times, and my, my, I probably, I don't know if my boss ever knew this, um, but I would sometimes just send them other properties that we weren't even representing uh, because people would say to me, like, I'm looking for this type of thing. And, you know, we didn't have that type of thing, whatever it may be. But I saw something come on the market that was with one of our competitors that was perfect for them. I would send it to them. You know, it's the aim here is to help them find their home, not to make a commission. I part of me thinks that there's still people reaching out to you to see if you have properties that you can <laughs> offer to them. Uh, actually, no, I've not had that recently, yeah. but. Yeah. It has any any cottages we should know about <laughs> in the seaside. Um, so, right, so then you were off to uni. No, so oh I God. have a- uh, You weren't. No, I never did university. What? So my, actually, uh, there's, a, there's another thing that was going on in that time in my life. So between 14 and 17, I was working at this day agent, but I also uh, started a small company. Um, How old were you? So same age, so from 14 through 17. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I loved it. You know, I loved working in the real world. I loved working with businesses. And I had, I was this techie young teenager who could do stuff that Crazy. these businesses can do. So it was called Alleviate. Um, and we would alleviate businesses of their stresses, the admin, the things that they didn't want to deal with. So we did things like graphic design, web development, social media management. Uh, it was at the days where obviously Facebook and I think Instagram was really becoming a big thing and I was really great at, at building audiences on Instagram for these brands. Um, and then obviously I loved graphic design. I start, had started studying accounting so I could do accounting. So it was like this one point of contact for them, but I could do this whole wide range of stuff where they could just focus on running their business and selling and I could actually help them with their online presence, with their accounting, with all of this stuff that they didn't want to have to deal with. Um, and I could probably do it significantly cheaper than these other accountants or, you know, professional graphic designers. Um, I have so many questions. I don't even like uh, how, like how, how does one start a business like that? What was the motivation? Like surely you maybe saw a company in distress and you said like, oh, you know, like I think I have a pretty good taste in graphic design. Um, <clears throat> How did that all happen? Uh, by the so way? I was studying graphic design at school okay. at the time. It was one of my GCSEs, and okay. I really enjoyed it. Um, and so I think that's. And then I kind of, I did some things for the estate agents that I worked at, um, and then we had some uh, contractors we used. So we had this guy who did like plastering for us. So then, and he was chatting at some day about his like uh, business cards and, and logo. And my colleagues at the estate agency, said, oh, you should, you should speak to Harry. Like he can help yeah. you with with this. And so I. Um, got in touch with him, helped him, and then he would refer me to someone new. And it was just this snowball effect that started without me really thinking, 
I'm going to start this business. But then I just started helping all of these small businesses across the town. Um, and yeah, we made some good money. I mean, more money than I'd ever seen as a, as a 14, 15 year old kid. Um, still not tons by today's standards, but I was super happy to go on that journey. I mean, when I was 14, I was still playing Mega Man. So, <laughs> I mean, so you, you you keep saying we, did you have a business partner? In I the... had like, I would ha bring in people that basically my friends yeah. uh, when I needed to, that, that potentially were good at some, some things um, or could help me if I had too many clients on it at one moment in time. But uh, I mean, I say we, I think I'm just being, it's mainly me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, still, I mean, like you were, it seems like you were, you know, um, directing the orchestra and you were just applying sort of a philosophy of uh, who, not how, right? So you were like, who of my friends know how to do this? I have all these clients and I'm just placing jobs with all this talent and sort of thing. But at age of 15, like that is quite remarkable. Thank you. So what, what next? Did you sold well, the company? So no, 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 it, was, it wasn't. And you learned accounting when you were 15? So I started studying accounting. Um, well, how? Uh, how I, that, was at, that was at college. So I must have been 16 starting, starting accounting. Um, so I, I did start college. So I did start my A-levels and I okay. was studying accounting, law, maths, further maths, and business studies. Okay. Um, good topics. Uh, I then dropped out. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of like, I was too focused at this point at like working in the sales role at starting my business. And I basically um, stopped going to college. Uh, I continued doing the accounting and law. So I did that. I managed to, I was quite um, tricky with my college schedule. So you yeah. had to have a certain level of attendance to be considered going to college. Um, which yeah. I absolutely was not hitting. Um, this so, is your rebellious self yeah. acting up again. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I managed to find the timetable for all of the different classes that were doing the topics that I yeah. was learning yeah. and like mapped my own timetable out to be like, yeah, I want to do these classes. They're yeah. the ways I can do the most amount of classes whilst also fitting it around my day job and business. You, it sounds like you have uh, quite like selective learning, right? And that like sort of like tunnel vision and focus to know, um, you know, what you like and, and what you don't. Uh, I think I think something that our listeners would immensely appreciate is there are some subjects that you have to learn, mm -hmm. but you don't want to learn. How do you manage that? Like things like that, by the way, you just mm, I mean, I don't learn them, <laughs> right? Like, because I don't think there's anything that I, if I have to learn it, I probably want to learn it. Yeah. There's often not something I feel like I have to learn that I don't want to learn. Um, fair, fair point. Uh, but there's a ton of stuff. I So I look back at my time at school and I think back to like history class, for example. And at yeah. school, I just didn't care. Now I would absolutely find that so interesting. Mm, and mm, so I think mm, it's sometimes an age thing, a maturity thing, where at the time you don't realize it's interesting and you think, oh, this is just history. I don't care about history or science or like um, German or Spanish or whatever it was I was learning that I was like, I would do fine. I would get B's or A's like without trying too hard, but I would never really re retain. So I could, pass, I could pass exams, but I was never good at retaining information. Um, oh. And I look back and I'm super sad about that. I wish I paid more attention in like history class and uh, there's stuff I find super interesting yeah. now, yeah. Um, but definitely didn't pay attention to at the time. Crazy. I, 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 I read in, I think your LinkedIn bio that you were the youngest charter accountant in the world. Yeah. So, so taking this step forward. So then I basically at about 17, I had now, I, had, I was still working in sales, had my business and I was studying night school in accounting and law and accounting for me, like I, I realized I wanted to be an entrepreneur. 
How? By this time, why, why, did you know, why did you know that? So this is actually going back in time. I knew this from about the age of 13. And this was because I think, I mean, look, this perhaps is the narrative fallacy, but this is how I look at it. So I, my dad left and yeah. um, money became much tighter. And I remember Googling, how do I make a lot of money? <laughs> how do I support my family? And obviously at the top of every single list of what you can do to make money was be a business owner, be an entrepreneur. So I was like, okay, what is an entrepreneur? How do I go and be an entrepreneur? And so it, it began this obsession with learning and consuming everything I could about being an entrepreneur. I religiously watched The Apprentice, Dragon's Den, and like YouTube videos about entrepreneurs and read books like biographies from Richard Branson or Alan Sugar or even like footballers and, and other people who had done super, super stuff with their life. Yeah. And I guess it started this journey of me saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Um, you know, <laughs> when I was 16 and we had at the end of our school year, like you have all of these most likely to X, most likely to be um, a politician, most likely to be marry a footballer and all of this stuff. I was voted the most likely to be a millionaire in my class because I was always this, uh, you know, I sold sweets at school. That's another small business. <laughs> it doesn't really count. But, you Still. know, I was always so entrepreneurial. I, was, I would always find... Um, the opportunities, whatever they may be, to like make money or be scrappy or like, I don't know, just do entrepreneurial things, I guess. Did you have any like methodology? Do you read before? Do you did you did you read like religiously every day? Like, what about socializing and making friends mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff? Well, so this is the other through line, to be honest. So I was definitely a social kid at at, at school, but I've very much been a, a lone wolf since. I think um, fair, fair. You know, I've moved around a lot. I've always gone where the best opportunity took me, and the people that have been around me like has never been a, a huge consideration over the decisions that I've made a lot of the time to my detriment and that's actually probably a key reason I'm, I'm starting the business site or I've started the business I have started now uh, which we can come and talk to you later um, but yeah it's it's growing up um, yes I was super social I'm still super social but uh, I think that I've definitely been a um, very independent person my entire life wow so here you are again uh, chartered accountant uh, I mean, youngest in the world. Yeah. So how that just, so how that happened? So I, I said I was 17. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I had realized that, um, you know, I wasn't doing college anymore. Basically, I was doing the the accounting and law, but but I wasn't really doing my A levels. I'd already dropped out of, of the rest of them. Um, and I decided that actually accounting was the best. As much as I loved the business I'd run, I still recognized I had a lot to learn, and that. You know, maybe it would be a good idea to go and get some some other experience first before continuing down this path of entrepreneurship. And so, I had an amazing accounting teacher who who sort of switched me onto this thing called the chartered management accountant. So it's different from a normal chartered accountant. You have two types of accountants in England: uh, a chartered accountant, which is the people that people think about when they hear chartered accountant. These are the people who work in the uh, accountants down on the high street. They help you with tax and they help you with auditing and they do all of this stuff that's, um, in my opinion, quite boring, Okay. Uh, even as an accountant saying that. Um, and then you have a different type of chartered accountant. This is called a chartered management accountant. Okay. It's a different qualification, which is called SEMA. And this is much more like an MBA. This is much more you work in a business as a finance expert and you help them uh, work out their strategy and you help them achieve their strategy. So it's very much a like 
strategic role to help drive businesses forward using financial knowledge. Um, and the yeah. actual education is much more varied. So you don't just learn about tax and accounting and auditing. You learn about HR and strategy and uh, sales and commercial contracts and, and like all of this stuff that's much more valuable as someone who wants to start a business. It's much more like an MBA. Wow. And so when I learned about that, I was like, okay, that is what I want to do. Why would this uh, teacher suggest this to you? Like, did you develop friendships he with was the... so he was a cgma so okay. he he was teaching me as a, a different accounting which is more yeah. basic accounting called aat um and he he just he was a cgma so that led me to learn, learning what that was um and i was like okay that is what i want to do that's going to give me my best education to go on and start companies again so i started self-funded actually training for cgma um and then decided to go and out and find a full-time job as a, a finance role that would then allow me to continue those studies and i might have read that you became a cfo at a pretty young age yeah so i got that first job at 17 went on to uh, so got uh, lots of promotions and continued my studies ended up qualifying as the youngest chartered management accountant in the world at 20 Poor. and then went so far as being a cfo of a 200 person company with 25 direct reports at 22. so uh, my entire career has always been uh, like pr it's always progressed from the relationships I've built at a previous role pretty much um, and this was no different so I one of the companies I worked for when I was like 19 uh, was a company called CAE uh, CAE are a pilot training organization the biggest pilot training organization in the world Canadian company publicly traded uh, and I looked after from f from a finance perspective all of their European and US uh, flight schools how did you get the job um, luck. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, but you're 19, you're doing, you're doing like uni credits and then what, and you have a business that you're running as well. No, So when I got my first finance job, I actually closed down that business. Okay. Mm -hmm. But still you're doing uni credits. Uh, I mean, one usually, usually just focuses on that, but you, 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 were you thinking like, okay, like this is all very useful and stuff, but I want some money in my pocket. So I was always working. So there was always. never a time I didn't work. My accounting studies was actually just all done around a full-time job. Wow. But that's normal, by the way. Do Most accountants do that. How, what, what's your relationship with work? Like would, when, I mean, obviously <laughs> since such an early age, you've been exposed to it. Is it, was it always a thing th that you had to do? Regardless of anything, it just like itched to not work and you were like, okay, I need to go on and find my next role. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I'm very much a hard worker. I've definitely had that instilled in me from my family, uh, but I love it. I, you know, I, I don't see anything as work, really. I think I just see things as what is the best use of my time? What's the best, most interesting use of my time? And often that is work, but yeah. but work to me is, is enjoyable. And Okay, so going a foot forward, uh, so you got this job at this uh, aviation company. Yeah, so this was the CAE. Okay. And um, aviation makes no money. <laughs> so the, the margins Fair. are super small. And so what we did is we did a consulting arm of the business where we would help other, because we had such a great brand, we would help other flight schools set up their own flight schools. So when someone would come to us and say, I want to start a flight school in Saudi Arabia or in uh, Oman and can you help me do that? And then we would charge them a boatload of money to help them do that. Wow. And then they could use our brand, they could use our um, course material and stuff like yeah. this. Um, what did you learn in the job? So, well, so I was the sort of finance project manager in these kinds of uh, projects. And we had a technical project manager who would deal with the 
um, like regulatory side of things and the course side of things. And I would help them with, say, a business plan or an investment plan. And then, anyway, I didn't really think much of this. I did this job for like a year um, and then left and went to a biotech company. Uh, so I did the... You I did was the job for a year. I did this for like a year, went off and went to a biotech company for, for about uh, two and a, two years just over. And in that two years, completely forgot about this aviation school. It's a drastic right? change of industry, right? Yeah. I mean, my, my uh, that is a good thing about finance is that, you know, it's, it's applicable to every type of company. Uh, and so you can move around industries and still, um, yeah, get good get, get job. Do you think that um, you learn a lot about aviation and biotech during these roles? Yeah, loads. I mean, when you're there, you know, you're so engrossed within that industry that you massively learn about it. Um, a couple of years later, I found out that the guy who was the technical project manager who worked with me when I was at CAE had gone on to Saudi Arabia to be their CEO of this aviation school that we helped set up. And so he got in touch with me and said, Harry, I need a CFO. Can you come and join me out here? At which point I said to him... <laughs> How old were you? Yeah, I was like, I was like 20, probably... Uh, I was still 22, I think. So I was 22 all through this. And I said to him, Larry, like... No, <laughs> I am not a CFO yet. I am like 22. I'm not ready for this. There's still a long way to go. Maybe tell me what you need help with and let me see if I can help you. But I don't think I'm ready to be a CFO. We talked a bit more about the uh, role and what he needed. And he helped, basically needed someone to come in and professionalize the company. Someone to help set up all the back office processes, to help raise $50 million of aviation uh, sort of financing from banks. Uh, we needed to set up an ERP system. We needed to someone to take over HR. And I was like, I can do all of these things. <laughs> so uh, in the end, uh, he convinced me and uh, I ended up going over there and, and being their CFO. And uh, it was a great experience. So I had 25 direct reports across finance, HR, procurement, IT and uh, law. And yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. And it was just a company that you said that were 200 people. Correct. Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, you were a CFO, but it looks like you were wearing many hats at the same time. Yeah. And 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 that utter optimism all over again. Um, how how do you confront this like challenges where you know you have a you have an issue in front of you that it's something that you haven't studied, you haven't had exposure. Like, is there like a process that you have um, yeah, to 100%. write things down, or so, do you call your do you have <laughs> mentors that you call like? How does it all work in your brain? Definitely, has? I have some amazing mentors for sure, who, but mainly less subject matter and more like general. Like these are great wise men and women who can help me with, let's say, more interpersonal stuff and over thinking big picture about the situation, but less about like, how do I do this thing in, in law, in HR, whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, definitely have some amazing mentors that I lean on. But actually my process and my entire leadership style doesn't rely on me knowing the answer and it never should actually i think that absolutely in certain topics you should have some subject matter expertise and i think it's super it's super helpful to be able to step in and say guys let me deal with this i can just knock it out of the park or or go in and do it and um, perhaps sometimes in accounting that was always too much of my preference actually and i wasn't enough of a leader i would always step in a bit too much um, but in these other uh, disciplines i didn't have that luxury because i didn't know the answer so when it came to HR or uh, procurement or law or something, I would have to rely on um, my team. And I had an amazing team in all of these different departments. And so my job wasn't to come and say, this is what we're going to do. My job was to 
understand the knowledge and collate the knowledge from my team. So we would say, okay, this is the challenge we have in front of us. How should we deal with it? And especially in Saudi Arabia, what's super interesting is it's not like Western world. In a Western world, you say that you're going to get ideas, right? They're going to say, you know, you should do this, you should do that, you should do, do something else. In Saudi Arabia, it's such a hierarchical uh, culture that they're almost completely afraid to say you should do this to someone who's more senior than them. So I had to get over this with my team where I was like, guys, I want your feedback. I want your ideas. I want you to tell me what we should do here. I will make the end decision, but I need your intelligence. I need your um, knowledge to come through here. That's why we have you in the team, right? We don't want to just, we don't need to be monkeys who just does stuff because we tell you to do them. We want you to tell us what we should be doing so that we can implement it. Um, and you culturally adapted. Yeah, so I managed to... So how did you get their answers? Well, I just kept repeating that same sentence. Oh, I kept saying to them, guys, like, you know, I want your feedback here. Um, it also comes back to like having that one-to-one -one relationship with all of them. So really trying to build empathy, really trying to understand where they're coming from. What are their dreams? What are their motivations? And if they feel understood, they feel like you have your back, then um, absolutely, I think they're much more open to talk to you honestly and give you your, their honest ideas. And then it's on me to basically... Uh, let's say assess and listen and hear yeah. what they're suggesting and then make a final decision and say, guys, I hear you. This is the way we're going to go. Um, sometimes that's against some of them. Sometimes it's with them. And I think that as long as you can, they feel like they their opinion has been heard, then uh, often they, they're very ready to get on board with what you end up deciding. Right. Did it ever happen to you that um, you had a team that was not very just responsive it was just not working out and you said okay i am doing everything i can to try and get something from this team but i'm not and you have to make some decisions maybe rearrange people <laughs> maybe hire new people um maybe let some people go like mm -hmm. how I, I i'd like to know like some of yeah, the 100%. hiccups that you faced in in these jobs you know yeah so you, the hr team in Saudi oh. Arabia was the the hardest challenge I had in that respect. This was kind of one of the key things they brought me in to try and solve is because they had gone through maybe five HR managers in a year, wow. something crazy like this. The team was great, actually. I actually honestly believe that the individuals in the team were very good individuals uh, in most cases. The issue was the cultural, like, ways that they worked together and communicated with the rest of the business and so they sent a really bad image out into the rest of the business um but absolutely like we had a we had a hr manager who i respect a lot and i still do but we had a difference of opinion in terms of how we should be leading the team and dividing responsibilities and so on um, my view was very much that we needed sole ownership for things so right now it was very much confusion over who did what everyone did everything um Obviously, some people were would do it one day and other people would do it the next day. And it was this inconsistent thought, this in, in, inconsistent decision making. And I said, and also like, then there was no, I don't want to say the word, no one to blame. But actually, it was more about accountability. You shouldn't be blaming anyone. It's about the systems in place. But someone needs to be accountable for putting the right system in place. And if the system, the right system isn't in place, they should be accountable for fixing that. Um Again, it's not about coming on to the individual and saying, this is your fault, but it's saying to them, you are responsible for fixing this. And so let's work together to try and fix it. Whereas my, my HR manager wanted it, everyone to have, let's say, contingency so that they could look after each other's 
positions when they were absent or something else, which is a logical suggestion, but it wasn't working. And so one of the things I had to come in and do is, is have a conversation with him and say, this is how we're going to need to do this. We're going to split up uh, responsibilities. We're going to have a clearly identified person accountable for each task. Um, and that person is solely responsible. Maybe over time we can worry about contingency and helping them train other people, but we need that clear division of responsibilities. Um, and he wasn't happy. He didn't want me to do this. Like he didn't want to do this at all. Um, but sometimes you have to have that conversation where you say, I hear you, this is the way we're gonna do this. And when we walk out that door, I need this to be your idea and for you to own this with your team. How, how did you learn to do that? Uh, I mean... This would probably come, I think actually that, that uh, came from the CEO, actually, to be fair to him. We had some disagreements around some things, but something he did teach me absolutely was that specific conversation where you, he said to me, look, Harry, sometimes you just have to pull rank and you just have to say to them, this is how we're going to do this. Yeah. And I need you to be on board with it. Um, yeah. So in private, between you and I, we can disagree. We can talk about this. We can, you know, chuck stuff against each, each other and, and yeah. you know, uh, have conflict. But when you walk outside that door, because you need to represent this in front of the team, this needs to be your idea. Fair. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd love to know as well how you manage situations where that happened to you so when somebody a little <laughs> bit more senior would tell you this is the way it yeah. is and <laughs> i mean with you being super positive i'm just so curious about how you would manage a situation like that yeah. and work your way around what you thought was the right approach so that's definitely i pay a lot of who i am today as a manager um to this guy called lucas he wow. was my manager at this company called Newton Europe. And it was actually, it was him and uh, a lady called Lara. They kind of shared managing me because apparently I was too much to handle for one of them. <laughs> oh, man, two um, managers for one. But I was, honestly, I was an awful, uh, in some ways I was pretty awful at this time. I was this overconfident, like 16, no, I was 17 when I started there and I was worked there for about two and a half years, I think. So, uh, you know, this was really the my first ever full-time job working for someone else that wasn't this sales role, was much more prof professional. Um, and I thought I knew everything. You know, I went in as overconfident kid who uh, didn't listen to anyone, had my own way of doing things, wanted to make all of these changes, wanted to move super fast. And I, you know, if I saw something I th thought should be better, I would make it better. But actually sometimes that would break other things that I wasn't cognizant of. And so I, I had these amazing pair of managers who both brought very different things to the table. Lucas was excellent at <laughs> bringing me down to earth and helping me um, see the error in my ways um, and just being a bit more humble and understanding, like, let's say the, uh, you could say I was used to be very um, process driven and not very human driven. So I would be like, well, this is obviously the best way to do this. So they need to just get on board with it. And that's it. And that's it. <laughs> and that's yeah. the awful way. That's no actually not a great way to kind of, that's actually not a great way to, to run anything. At the end of the day, we all are a bucket of emotions and people. And if you can't get the people on board, nothing else is going to change anyway. Um, Lara was exceptional at helping me see the people side of things. And I think together, they they really molded me into someone who massively prioritized then the hearts part of the equation rather than the minds part of the equation um but 
it was an uphill battle for them. And so I, I'm very grateful that they had the patience and time for them to help me grow up and stop being this like yeah. overconfident teenager and become a humble but uh, let's say competent uh, yeah. adult who could take people on the journey with me and help actually affect proper change. Yeah. You know, there's there's so many people um, that I chat to like on a day-to-day basis, you know, and I, and I do hear people saying like, oh, my manager told me this and like, ah, I'm just not going to, just not gonna not gonna listen to what they said and whatever it is you know but you seem to be quite resilient um to what other people advise to you i love feedback like it is is an absolute gift and i've never i mean i'm sure that in some moments i felt uh let's say defensive or whatever the word is but i am my biggest skill is truly hearing people when they tell me stuff and when they say to me you know you you this is the impact of what you've just done or i think you could do this better or have you thought about doing this other thing you know i really really try and take that feedback on board i might not always agree with it i might sometimes go a different direction but i will make sure i legitimately hear and process and yeah. consider what they've said because it's it's coming from a point of view of like it's going to make you better that's what they're Absolutely. there to try and do so why are you disregarding this help, this feedback? And this is something I think that the, the later generations are super good at, actually. Um, Being more resilient. Uh, I don't know if the word is resilient. Uh, in this case, I think it's just more um, like great with, with hearing feedback. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like taking it positively rather than as an attack on their character yeah. or an attack on, on their uh, abilities. W- what do you think made you, you know, become such a good listener and of, of feedback you know um do you do you recall having you know someone constantly t- telling you i think it was just yeah i think it was that that culture at newton and with lucas and lara like it's a very much a way of life at this company where feedback is given and received constantly it's a constant stream and if you weren't good at hearing it yeah. you wouldn't stay in the company yeah. you know they only hired incredible people out of oxford and cambridge and top universities and so um, but the kind of pitch was come and join us and we will make you the best you could possibly be. Wow. And they did like they're an exceptional company and they're still they're growing super fast. You know, they're competing on projects with like McKinsey and other big four consulting companies and winning. You know, they're an insane group of people. And um, I pay a lot of my ability and let's say learning to date on them. But they also invested in learning development. They would probably yeah, invest yeah. like. I can't remember the exact numbers, but I'm talking tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands, probably now millions a year in pure learning and development mm. for their for their staff. Oh. Um, are you still in touch with them? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've still oh, got some nice. friends at, at Newton. In fact, the Lucas messaged me just today <laughs> randomly. Um, I haven't heard from him for a while. So, yeah. So nice. Um, so, again, going back to your job journey, mm-hmm. you were a CFO, you encountered all these challenges, and I'm sure that in the back of your head, you still want to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, so it was always the plan to just learn as much as possible, get as high as possible, uh, and then go and be an entrepreneur. And then I ended up leaving the CFO role in October of 2021, um, and decided I was trying to work, I didn't have anything lined up. I was working at what was next for me. And at this stage, I was like, I don't really want another finance job. I've kind of been there and done that now. <laughs> been there, learned that, done yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is obviously uh, silly to say because there's still a lot of things I had to learn. But it was, 
I felt like it wasn't gonna, so my goal being wanting to start a company, I learned everything I needed to know to achieve that goal. Not necessarily to be a, a FTSE 100 CFO, obviously there was a long way to go if I wanted to go down that path, but to start a company as a founder, I knew everything I needed to know. So the next question was, okay, do I go into more of an operations role? Do I go into a different kind of uh, function from that perspective? Um, or do I do what I've always wanted to do and go and start a company? And I had this idea itching in the back of my mind now for a couple of years. And so I thought, well, you know what? I just earned some good money in Saudi Arabia. For the first time in my life, I had, let's say, some personal runway that I could end up focusing on like starting something without worrying about a paycheck for a year. And um, I thought, well, I'm never gonna have this opportunity again. Now is the time to to go all in and try and start something new. And so that's what led me to starting Pally. And ladies and gents, this is it. The founder <laughs> of Pally has Hubble. So has so many questions. Why did you call it Pally? And what what is Pally exactly? So Pally is a next generation messaging app, but it's also much more than that. What we're trying to build is a platform that isn't just a utility, isn't just seen as a tool, it isn't something you can just interchange with a WhatsApp or a Telegram and you get the same value. We're building something that makes you a better human being, makes you a better friend, makes you a better son, a better uh, best friend to someone. Basically, we're building an ecosystem of tools to support your social life. At the core of that is messaging, but it also includes a discovery element to help you make plans and a, a what we can kind of call a personal CRM to help you keep in touch with people and like build and cultivate those relationships over the, over the long term. This is just like world changing. I mean, now everything makes sense. You are someone who's been so exposed to interpersonal relationships and to drastic social changes since a very young age because you know you had to develop social skills at a very, very early age. You had to develop um, the understanding of people and, 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 and seeing how people communicate and interact. It, it, how, how did Pali came into place? Like, were you in Saudi or were you back in London? And so I you... came, come back to England at this moment in time. Okay. Um, I was living in Bista in Oxfordshire. Um, and nice. But it was actually the, it was a long way in the making in that my entire life for the last six, seven years had been moving around. I moved to five different cities in five years, obviously to Saudi Arabia, to Bahrain. And so I constantly had two challenges. One was how do I uh, keep in touch with the people who I'd made great friends with in the previous city? There is a thing to be said for, you know, proximity helps right when you're in the same city and you can yeah, catch up on a regular basis it's super helpful when you move to another city hours away or even <laughs> 10 hours on a flight away how do you maintain those relationships and so it was a constant challenge of me trying to maintain those friendships from people who i had now left physically and then also trying to make new friendships and build new relationships in you know a new city both of which are super challenging and aren't catered for by the existing social media sites the I existing totally agree. social media sites are so focused on the media side of that equation just entertainment eyeballs swiping scrolling as long as you they can keep your attention that's what they care about they don't care about helping you with your social life they don't care about your friends i wanted to build a platform that helped me <laughs> as a user um, maintain my relationships, build my relationships, focus on what really mattered and adding value to, to users' lives through um, 
you know, supporting these friendships. I think that there's literally nothing else in this world that matters versus the uh, than the people that we spend our time with, live our lives with. Yeah, you know, people absolutely. talk about companies, people talk about countries or religions or um, governments, political parties, whatever it is. At the end of the day, all of those things are completely made up, right? We've just said this group of people is a company. This group of people is a political yeah. party. None of it is real. All it is is us describing a group of people. That's so it. So let's just focus on the people and focus on the relationships between those people because everything else is just noise. Pali is basically like all things social. Is basically learning how to speak better to people. It's uh, about maintaining interpersonal relationships. Is it also about how to create new friendships? Yeah, so we have an element in there as well to introduce you to new people if you wish. So you could say, you know, I'm traveling to this new city, or I'm traveling, uh, or even in with, you know, within your existing city, I just want to meet someone new um, who's similar to me in these ways. We can, we can help you with that as well. How did you learn all these social mechanisms? I mean... Oh, like maybe books or I mean what kind of research did you have to do to understand how people interact and all that yeah I mean it's super interesting we do we are super lucky to have a woman called Sonia who's our in-house social psychologist on the team so she definitely helps me learn a lot of these things provides a lot of the research uh, but also it's just been a lot of independent reading and um, people actually a lot of people talk about this you know a lot of people talk about the need for social connection and the damage oh, the pandemic has done on everyone's social social lives and social connection and so there's a lot of content out there um but there's not a lot of solutions <laughs> i agree i totally agree the, it's i mean i oh my god i can't I, is it launched already by the way so we've launched a couple of products in the last year um however we're now we've now gone back to let's say a pre-launch stage yeah. where we're now bringing all of that learning that we've had in the last year to build this new concept that we've just described being this messaging app with these additional features to help you support your social life and that is what we're launching in about two months time wow i can't wait for the launch me neither please let me know yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i mean how does one know that you need like the, that the company needed a social psychologist like i i'd love to learn you know all about like pally and its origins like okay here you are okay I'm, i want to create this a company that it's an it's a it's a full social ecosystem what, what now yeah it didn't start that way um so our first plan was to build something that focused on one side of that equation i mentioned earlier being the how do you meet new people in your area Fair. and that's where we started and we built a good product that basically would match people together based on their compatibility but our compatibility would go to quite a deep level so we realized that things like your interests actually don't matter very much so <laughs> something that's quite interesting is people when they say i want to meet someone with similar interests than me yeah, yeah. it's complete bullshit right they don't <laughs> they think they do but actually in reality what matters significantly more is things like shared experiences shared values shared identities and then yes if you also like to spend your time in similar ways that's yeah. a plus yeah but unless there's compatibility at those deeper parts of who you are interests don't mean much And so we realized that early on, based on actually user testing, it wasn't an insight. It wasn't something I just came up with. This was through the user research, through actually creating a product that initially matched people on interests. And sometimes it would work and sometimes it didn't. And when we analyzed 
why that was it came down to because the people who where it did work had that deeper level of compatibility so that was what led us to realize that truth um it sounds super obvious now when we say it out loud, but at the time, you know, it wasn't, it was definitely something we discovered. I don't think it's that obvious, you know, I mean, like, I think that the social media slash network technology ecosystem has remained under the same term since the last 20 years. And so this sounds like you are like, I don't care how these people have done it. Like, I want to, I want to do it like my own way based on my own research. And it looks like you are actually getting people to connect, right? Yeah. So that was definitely the first uh, product and model, which was this, let's say, friend-finding app would introduce you to great people. Um, so well, how would it work? Like, you just sign up? You'd and sign up, tell us about yourself. We would ask you lots of questions, and then we would match you and introduce you to new people. Wow. And then would you just go, like, on a messaging interface? So and then originally, yes. Um, and then we... So there was a couple of things we realized as part of that first product. So it's not a product that we now have live anymore. Okay. And the reason for that is kind of two things. So we are still a business. You still need to make money. And of unfortunately, in, in, in dating, the way they make money is by paying for swipes and, like, keeping you engaged and keeping you swiping. Actually, for friendship, that really... That model doesn't work because... Yeah. Your, your pitch doesn't want to be like swipe through 100 people and try and find a friend. Yeah. It should be just tell me about you and let me introduce you to someone who's great. And so then you're introducing them to like one person, two people, three people maybe. But it's a very small number of people. So you can't do this like paying for swipes business model. Yeah. And what happens is they come on, they make a great friend and then they leave. How do you make any money in that space of time? It's super hard. Yeah. So we were like, OK, this isn't going to be sustainable. How do we... Um, deal with that and then the other big issue with that kind of mo model is that no one wants to invite their friends to a friend finding app <laughs> totally. and so yeah. you don't have any like virality you don't have any way of like getting organic growth you really have to kind of market tough. to every so user tough. so you know i used to worry or so wonder what happened well i used to wonder like why has no one ever won in that space now i see <laughs> it's those two reasons yeah. it's not viral and um, it's super hard to make money so then we learn okay well, then we sort of expanded that vision to say well why don't we also recommend events and things that these users can then do together so that we can basically um help them meet up and yeah. go to an event that we know that they're both going to enjoy together mm. this way we can make money from the event and um they still get the benefit of meeting new people uh, and then ideally, if we learn what events they like, we can also keep them coming back to our platform to find out about more new events that they should go to. But you keep saying, like, learn, we, I mean, how did you learn? Isn't it that you, you, you basically... Just listening to users, ultimately. It's, it's everything else, like, doesn't really matter, right? You have to yeah. just speak to users, see how they're using a product. And that product can be nothing more than emails yeah. like actually if you just you could just email someone back and forth i mean my our first product was like a google form with an excel spreadsheet no. where i was matching people together and then contacting them on, on whatsapp are you kidding me so like you don't need a whole this was v1 so, yeah yeah you and don't. here i was thinking like a crazy data analytics <laughs> interface and whatnot wow. fully fully, fully mvp mm -hmm. yeah like you you quite literally just like here's what makes you go from point a to point b yeah. and that's it yeah and then you listened, you iterated. Exactly. And then you created this events uh, module. And it was about events, yep. So how can we recommend events for users? Is that a way that we can keep users coming back to the platform okay. and therefore establish this relationship over the longer term? Yeah. Um, and obviously keep making some money from the users yeah. ultimately. Um, how would you advertise yourself, by the way? 
Uh, what do you mean? I mean, like, how how does one find Pali naturally? Yeah, so we were pitching as a social events discovery platform, and we would try and go to where people were already hanging out. So there's a great meetup group run by an amazing community manager called David, um, which was basically a group of people in London, 20s and 30s, who wanted to meet new people. And so we would go to them, and we worked with them to help them help build this technology platform that could help that community. Um, so I think it's it's not necessarily about often people again it comes back to that very similar I guess you could say to the sales thing I said earlier yeah. around you're not trying to sell something to someone you're trying to find some someone who already wants what you have yeah. and so marketing is very much the same you know you can't market someone into buying something they don't want yeah. so the trick yeah. with marketing is to find where the people already are that already want to buy your thing or use your thing and then just be there <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so that's that's um what we did, we found the meetup group. There was also a number of people already Googling stuff like this and on social media asking for things like this so we could contact them directly. This is so um, resourceful, Vihas. Yeah. I mean, you know, like what, in the in the MVP school of life, you just listen to the classic, like, you know, uh, UI, UX, a lot of money, a lot of money in software, paying someone to do like social advertising, mm -hmm. but like Google Forms, mm -hmm. emails, meetup.com, like, Damn, it's just like hustle and muscle all the way through <laughs> V1, my man. I mean, yeah, we did our best. We also made our fair share of mistakes for sure and wasted tons of money on some some things that was like we did try a marketing agency and yeah. wasted like nine thousand pounds with zero results. Yeah. Like you know, you as a first time founder, you do get led in these uh, avenues where you end up realizing, okay, this was the wrong decision and we definitely did that. Um but, you know, some things, the things that did, did work where we just went back to basics and focused on who are the users, how can we speak to them, how can we give something to them, how can we, you know, get their feedback and then iterate. Yeah. That's all starting a business should be and doing it for as cheaply and as simply as possible until you've got something that you know works 100% and then yeah. invest into building it. Obviously, there are certain things you can't do that for, I appreciate, but in a lot of businesses, you can why why did you decide to create pally like i mean obviously as a business owner what makes you feel good about pally it comes back to that um core belief of mine that everything else is just noise all that matters is the relationships that we have yeah um and frankly i'm building the product that i want right i'm building something for myself that would help me be a better friend to my friends yeah. help me cultivate my friendships and relationships yeah. and i recognize the value of that for my life people say my oh. one of my favorite sayings is that your network is your net worth and i absolutely don't mean this financially although it's probably true right the better yeah. your network the more money you may, may make but i don't think that's the meaning of that phrase i think it's about the worth and the meaning of your life comes down to purely yeah. the relationships that you have your network yeah and so that's what I'm focused on. I'm focusing on it for myself and I want to focus on it for everyone else. Yeah. I want everyone else to build those strong networks and so to live a great life. Yeah. How how does one, I mean, in a city like London, you know, where, where we're all busy and we all want to be anonymous, like how do you, how do you meet new people in London? How? You can't. You can't. Yeah. It's super hard. This is why I started Pali yeah. in the first place, one of the reasons. But like, I, I've come to realize there, there are people out there. There yeah. are, there's a will, definitely. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and you just got to you've just got to put yourself out there. There's no way you're gonna manage to to achieve that without getting outside your comfort zone sometimes, going to an event that you might not know anyone at and introducing yourself to someone new. 
you know, I really try when I'm at an event, if I see someone on their own, I will go and speak to them. If I, and I go to events on my own, the amount of times I've been to like concerts that of, of artists I absolutely love. On your own? Yeah, 100%. I go to the cinema on That's my so own. so cool. <laughs> I don't know but about that. Hey, I, but, I've uh, done the cinema by myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, yeah, I mean, I, I was like, I want to watch this movie. Yeah. And everyone's busy. You yeah. Know, so, yeah, why not? Um, what's What's been the hardest obstacle at Pali? I think that it's the, un, you have to, now now we can use the word resilience, right? I think the resilience is the hardest part about being a mm. founder. It's about facing 100, 200 no's constantly, especially if you're in a tech company, you want to raise money. You yeah. know, you have to speak to so many investors. And have you raised money, by the way? We have, yeah. So wow. we raised angel funding of about 300,000 pounds okay. now. Uh, we're now raising our pre-seed round of 1.7 million. Um, do you still do pitches, by the way? Oh, all the time. That's my entire life is pitching now. Wow. How many pitches do you think you do or have done? I mean, In my life? What's yeah. in starting Pally? Ooh. Um, over 200. Probably close. Probably maybe even over 300. Wow. Because I mean, you're constantly, yeah. your life is pitching, right? Even I was going to say, you've been you pitching flats street, since you yeah. were a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, as a, on, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, like, you go to any of any event and people are like, so what are you what are you working on? And you, you pitch them. That is still a pitch, even if it's not someone that you're trying to get something yeah. from. Yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> I want to use Pally. I appreciate it. Yeah. How, um, what, what's the, what do you think are big do's and don'ts for like the whole pitching situation? Because, you know, you see out there all, yeah. all this stuff about like how, I think was like Uber was like yeah. a three slide <laughs> pitch deck or... Fair. And then you see other pitch decks that were 20 pages long. So super give, interesting yeah. topic. And I, I, you know, I'm more than happy to help anyone, by the way, on a one-to-one -one basis, feel free to reach out to me because I love helping people with their pitches. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've got to a point now that I have a good understanding of what works and, and what doesn't. So a few key rules I would definitely say is people massively overcomplicate it. The aim with any pitch is to go down to a simple simple story as possible like if you're talking about a pitch deck then you're talking like maximum 50 words on a on a slide at most like you want it to be one key point on each slide so how i would recommend someone think about if they're talking about a pitch deck is um for each slide let's say 10 slides you want a story read only by the headlines so if you were to have nothing else on each slide and you would just read the headline of slides one through ten I need to have a great idea of what your business is, is doing, what you're solving, who you're solving it for, and how you make money, and how you're going to grow, just from the title of each slide. And if wow. you can achieve that, then the rest of the slide can just have a few small points to help further, val yeah. further validate the title that you've used. That, to me, is the markings of a great yeah. pitch deck. It sounds like the first thing that you say, which, I mean, uh, if, if you don't mind repeating it again, is basically, what do you do? Who are you doing it for? And how do you make money off of it? So you, I think, do you... Do and by you... the way, the money is much less important. I think like at this stage, if you're solving a real problem for a real user, yeah, um, the money will come regardless. So I don't think you should focus too heavily on the business model yeah. or if you... Um, but but you know you need to it needs to be a, a sensible concept that you you know you can't give free money to people yeah, of course. Um, but but you know i think that that should be a much much lower priority do you think that these investors make up their mind as soon as they read that uh yeah, interesting i think that by the end of the first call an investor will absolutely have a very strong um likelihood of if they're going to invest in you or not Fair. um 
I think if they if they think no after the first call, yeah, absolutely. Maybe you can come back later with a new concept. Maybe you can come back later with uh, some progress and and change their mind. But it is very hard to then change their mind afterwards. You know, oftentimes um, I've had conversations about how people find it quite scary to have investors on board. How do you, I mean, how, how does one manage a relationship yeah, with an investor? Yeah, so coming back to what you asked earlier about like the hardest thing around yeah. starting a business is yeah. not even necessarily the having the investors. Actually, I've been super lucky. My investors are very supportive and um, not like, you know, they're Putting not pressure. breathing down my neck at all. Yeah. They trust me um, to make the right decisions. But it's the in implicit pressure that you put yeah. on yourself as an entrepreneur by taking people's money this is their hard-earned cash and they are trusting you to do something amazing with it and that is a pressure that frankly so i raised money my first ever fundraise was in um sort of january february of of last year okay um and i'll be honest for about four weeks afterwards i was super depressed i couldn't I couldn't focus. I'd got about a week's worth of, of work done in that four week period. Yeah. And I was like so angry at myself because I just convinced and sold these people a dream, a way to invest in me and yeah. a way that we're going to change the world yeah. and all of this stuff. And then they wire me the money and I couldn't basically deliver anything for like a month. I was super depressed, super stressed, super just. And I realized that I let I was being overwhelmed with the pressure that I then put on myself to like, oh shit, now I need to deliver. Yeah, now I need to yeah. go out and do something that I promised that like, I don't know if I can do it. I had never done this before. Like, you know, it's that self-doubt and it yeah. just overtook me. It completely- That eternal self-doubt yeah. that we all have. And yeah. I was, uh, you know, I saw a therapist actually in the yeah. end and that ended up getting me out of that hole. Yeah. And then like, obviously we've been running full speed full speed since then but yeah. but there was definitely a time where the the pressure of just taking people's money overwhelmed me so much that i couldn't even work for how, a, a short how, period of time how did you find this therapist by the way i mean like at which point did you say okay i need some professional help uh it was it was a bad time in my life like for a number of reasons actually and like in i'd recently broken up with a long-term girlfriend who yeah. Yeah. Uh, is an amazing human being but wasn't the right time for us yeah. and um and then obviously I'd taken this money and I think I was, uh, to be honest, because of when the timing of the breakup happened and then me raising or, or focus on raising money for this business, I never really had time to grieve in that relationship. Yeah, yeah. And then I raised money and I kind of, this goal I'd been chasing since I'd broken things off yeah. was now complete. And now I kind of had this, this let's say, open road in front of me yeah. and then everything caught up with me. Yeah. I think that it, yeah. the relationship ending, the pressure from the fundraising, the pressure from now having to go out and do something crazy and do something I'd never done before, it was just, it was just all too much. And yeah. I, I did, I suffered for, for a short while. So, um, you know, it was, it was my mum and uh, people around me who said, Harry, you should just speak to someone, you know, see yeah. what you can do. And um, and I started and I didn't even it didn't I didn't have many sessions. I think we had maybe five or six sessions, um, but it was enough to help me start seeing yeah. um, just just believing in myself again. Yeah. And you know what it was, actually, I'm now thinking back, I'm remembering it. I had one conversation with this guy called Andrew, who uh, originally I met at Osla, which is the biotech company I worked at. He was my first uh, employee that I hired in my finance team. And um we were great friends like it was very much a friendly relationship rather than let's say a manager subordinate relationship or anything like this um 
and he actually went on to invest in Pali uh, oh, when wow. I first raised some money. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and I can't remember what it was, but he got you know we we always had this relationship where we very much help each other out. And he got in touch with me when I was at this really low point, and he asked me for my advice on something. I can't remember what it was now, or I can, but I won't talk about it. But he asked me for advice about okay. something, and I gave him my advice, and I knew the answer. Right, I knew the answer that I should give him. I was able to advise my friend, and I was able to speak intelligently and do help him, help my friend. And it was this like, it was I don't know why, but it was this one moment that made me realize to myself, oh shit, I do know what I'm doing. I can do this. This is why people like Andrew have put their trust and money in me. This is this isn't just me swindling people out of their money. This is them choosing to invest in me because I can do this, because I can believe in myself, and because I can go and use all of the skills I've learned to make a good change in the world and is that something that you still tell to yourself I mean when <laughs> when doing yeah. di- doing hardships you know sometimes um I forget it too much yeah. I forget it sometimes for sure yeah. uh but I think do you that think that helps with like words of affirmation definitely 100 or do you have any like any any other like process or advice because you know we all we all have that you know we all yeah. I mean any entrepreneur who's listening out there um we all have we will always have actually yeah. moments where we doubt ourselves and there's so many different like ways of dealing with it what's your way of dealing with that so it's super corny actually fair, something fair. that i do that does help actually and it is i <coughs> get home and i'm stressed or whatever it is and i'll open my book and i'll maybe write out like a journal for the day or something like this is one thing about this is what i'm stressed about but i'll end it writing the words i can do this full stop like 20 times like in detention where you used to like write lines and i just and it's like it's like it's like fucking harry potter yeah where she gets him to write the stuff on his hands and say yeah and and it's like bleeding and it's like there is a there is a method to that actually like just writing things out it helps it ingrain within your mind i think so as well i can do this yeah yeah and so you might not feel like it after the first day but keep at it for five days and by the end of those five days i'm like you know, I can do this. Yeah. And, and then yeah. and then I stop writing it and I stop journaling for that period of time until it comes around again and then I might do it again. But um, that is definitely something super corny that has helped me uh, I don't think get it's through corny. the hard, hard uh, moments. I don't think it's corny. You know, I've, I, I read a ton about psychology and, you know, psychoanalysis and uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And I think in CBT, that is actually a practice, you mm, know, words of affirmation. Having, you know, having something printed out in front of you every morning that says you can do it. There's uh, there's this thing I can't remember now, but I think it's called like um, like Maui's. It's like Maui's uh, Maui's habit or something. And it basically consists on as soon as your feet touch the floor every morning, you say to yourself, this is going to be an amazing day. Nice. And I've tried it out. Um, Sometimes I wish I was a bit more of an optimist, to be honest. But this has helped. Words of affirmation. So, hell yes. Um, I like that because it's like habit stacking. So so you you know in your brain, as soon as my feet touch the ground, this is when I say that thing. Exactly. I think that habit stacking from Atomic Habits by James Clear, one of the best books in the world. Love that book. Love that book. Yeah. I've I've read it. I've listened to the audiobook as well Mm -hmm. because he narrated himself. It's so good. Um, okay, so we have basically in Pali, uh, you know, a way to f- like be matched with people, you know, events that people can sign up to. What's next? 
Like, what's what's the next thing you're going to launch? Well, so actually, so the, so at its core, it's a messaging app. It's yeah. a messaging app um, similar to WhatsApp, but okay. in a much lovelier design, of course. But what we're doing is we're helping people train or retraining them. How do they think and how they manage their social inbox? There's a product in the world called Superhuman. It's an email client for your Gmail account. And it's got this cult following. I'm one of the cult. And the reason is because it's retrained how people think about email. So it's not just a new way to, to manage email. Of course, that's true. But I think it retrains you how you think about email and how you keep on top of your email relationships and conversations. And it's super sticky because you almost you learn this new method of dealing with it that's super hard to then step away from and go back to normal Gmail or any yeah. other email client. Um, and it's amazing. And I want to do the superhumanization of your social inbox. So we're going to yeah. train people a new way to think about their social inbox. What that means is some simple things. So something like, actually, right now you have one inbox and it's just a, a whole mess of all of your messages from your family, your friends, your work colleagues, your people you met on a night out, whoever. So that's the main, like the main, like uh, feature and it's a, like the messaging part. So messaging is definitely okay. the main feature. Yeah. Okay. So you'll use this every day cool. instead of WhatsApp cool. to, to talk to your friends. Nice. Um, and just coming back to the inbox. So right now in WhatsApp or other messaging apps, you have this one inbox, right? Whereas what we're doing is you can very easily tag your conversations to different groups. So you can say, these are my best friends. These are my family. These are my football friends. These are the people I go to the gym yeah. with, whatever. Yeah. And now you have a different inbox for each of those groups. So you can say, right now, I only want to focus on my family or I only want to focus on my friends and everything else can just disappear. Yeah. And that sounds super cool. It's super cool. It's super simple, yeah. but actually people love that concept. Yeah. And then you have different settings for different yeah. groups. So you can say, actually, my family, I always want to get their notifications. Do they know that they're part of that group? No, it's completely up to you. Because there's too many WhatsApp groups out there. Yeah. So it's not a group yeah. like that. It's not a group yeah. conversation. It's like a, a categorization of your conversations. That's brilliant, man. Um, and then yeah. you can cat you can say, like, for my family, I always yeah. want to receive their notifications. Whereas yeah. for my work colleagues, only send them between nine and five. Or for my football friends, actually, never send yeah. them. I just want to... Yeah. I just I'll check that when I want to check it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's a super simple way, but it's a, it's a way that you think about reorganizing your, your conversations into these different spaces. Um, then we also have things like teaching you to, if you don't, if you see a message come in and you don't want to deal with it right now, you can leave it as unread. You can leave it as your inbox. You'll probably forget about it. Yeah. We're going to teach you to snooze your message. So you basically click on it. You say, remind me this in two days. Yeah. And it's a super quick interaction. Um, which, by the way, you can do in some other messaging apps, but it's a super hidden feature. And it's again, it comes back to that superhuman concept where yeah. superhuman actually doesn't have any new features pretty much on top of Gmail. So anything you can do in superhuman, you can do in Gmail. But superhuman teaches you to use them okay. in the way that it wants you to manage your inbox. And we're going to teach users, okay, actually, yes, yeah, snooze your messages. Do this stuff. Categorize your messages. And this stuff that we can retrain users how to deal with their social inbox means that we can help them manage their inbox rather than letting their inbox just overtake their life. Can, so, you, still, can you still meet new people through Pally? Yeah. So absolutely. this is just the core. So at the okay. core, you have messaging, right? So you need to be using it every day to message your friends, your family, your girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever. Um, then the second, so that's inbox, ma in, inbox management. Within your conversation, we have something else which is incredible, which is our AI social assistant. Your AI social assistant listens to your conversation in a private and anonymous way and is always on hand to help you with, say, a recommendation or a reservation. Let's say you're messaging your girlfriend and you're saying, you know, let's get dinner tonight, let's go out tonight, let's do something fun. 
um, <laughs> I hold my hands up and say I'm super bad at making plans sometimes. Well, what our AI assistant does is it will recognize that you're talking about this and it'll pop up and it will say, I can help you with this in a non-obtrusive what way. The hell? And then you click on it if you want. You can ignore it, of course. But if you click on it, it now takes the preferences that it already has learned about you already has learned about your girlfriend and the context from the conversation and it will say great guys this is where you should go um so it's now already giving you the recommendation then you can say actually this place looks good but maybe i want a vegan restaurant today and so you can say to it actually i want a vegan restaurant and then it'll give you a new recommendation and then you can say great book us a table for two at 7 p.m and it will go ahead and do that for you so it's like a personal assistant but it's giving it a personal assistant to everyone and helping it focus on your social life. So it's doing dinners, it's finding coffee shops, it's giving you events you could go to, like you want to go to an EDM rave. Great, this is the best rave that's happening. Um, Whatever it is that you're interested in, it can help you with. So it's about helping you make these IRL plans. But can you you talk to the AI? So you talk to it, you tell it what it wants. But the idea being it's got this zero shot uh, recommendation. So when you first click on it, it gives you that recommendation from day one so um, you don't have to then say we're going for dinner tonight where should we go because i think that cognizant like that that brain power it takes to think let me go and search for this or let me ask a question it's a big friction point so one of our key innovations is actually just having it already know what you're asking for before you've asked for it so that it can just give you the the answer before you've even thought about it i mean AI is changing yeah. entirely the game in tech, in everything. Massively. Um, what has been your exposure to AI? Like, uh, has it just been with like, uh, you know, the maybe the software engineering team that you're that you're working with? Um, I, I'd love to hear about your opinion about you know, AI in general. You know, it's and interesting. It's like I don't think anyone knows where we're going to end up with yeah. this right now. I think the last six months, and I mean, I think it's unfair for us to say the last six months. But but ultimately, ChatGPT opened the world up to GPT-3. And GPT-3, whilst being available now for a couple of years, the UI innovation of making it a chatbot is what now it made it accessible for everyone. And so it's completely taken over everything. There's a huge hype around AI right now. People are building things every single day. Things are being released using this these new tools. Now it's obviously GPT-4. Um, and you've got obviously lots of other models as well. Everyone is playing in this field. This is a huge platform shift where um, if you are not, there is no such thing anymore as an AI company. I actually, in some some stages think, I think that like every single tech company now has to be an AI company Yeah. um, Yeah. because it's just going to change everything. It's making everything more efficient. Um, You can do things that you could never thought possible. You probably thought was possible, but was never was possible before. and who knows how far this is going to go if it's ever going to get to an agi standard i'm of the belief we probably will um and it's a scary thought to to think about but uh if you are not already working with ai and trying to think about how ai could improve your existing product or um, if you're starting a new company right now how is ai going to affect it you are behind yeah like it is just it is unbelievable the speed of uh, innovation and so you have to be so plugged into it right now ladies and gents take it from a man that has always be always been ahead of the curve <laughs> since a young age not sure so um i mean yeah i think that i think our listeners should definitely have a look at chat gpt and whatever they're innovating on uh just see how you know ai can definitely play a uh uh 
you know just any 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 improvements in what they're building you know um so right so you have this element of you know and as, uh, i think i read in your website um in your website by the way it's, it's pally.com right yeah pally.com pally.com perfect and i think i read that it was a social ai assistant yeah so this is that ai assistant that i'm describing that sits within your conversations and within the app and it can help you with making plans or finding events to go to or um, anything you want about like making an irl plan what's an irl uh, in real life oh in real so life. i mean like we, we're very much not focused on like the metaverse yeah. or online yeah. like we want people in the real world making plans and living life in the real world do you think that dating might be a thing at pally at some point no okay hard no Hard now. By the way, okay, so it's pure friendship. Pure friendship. It's it's just a, it's a messaging app, right? Like really, you should look at Pally and you should think it's a messaging app. But it's a messaging app that has these other features to make your social life better, to help you be a better friend, to help you make plans easier, to help you network better, to help you um, keep up to date with what's happening in your friends' lives. We haven't talked about it, but one of the key features is what we call this intelligent address book. Yeah. And what it does is instead of having just a name and telephone number saved in your contacts book, which gives you no value whatsoever. When you have someone in your contacts, we automatically go and find their social media accounts, look through their social media accounts on your behalf, and basically separate the signal from the noise and tell you about the important things happening in their life. So we can alert you to say, Sarah's just got a new boyfriend, or Jack, who uh, you know from New York, is visiting London. Maybe you should reach out to him. Whatever these things are, someone just raised a funding round. You know, whatever it is, these key moments in people's lives that are super important that you don't want to miss, um, we can tell you about. And we can oh. say, you should reach out to your friend Jack because something big has happened. So these are the daily insights we'll give you. And then also now, if you click on your address book and you click on someone's profile, you're not just seeing their name and telephone number, but you see a really gorgeous timeline of the key events that have happened in their life so that when you give them a call, you can just refresh your memory of what's, what are the key things, what are the important things that have been happening um, so that you can be that great friend and, and, and you oh. know remember the right things. I can't wait for Pally to come out. Me neither. Has It's been great speaking to you and I, I'm so sure that you'll be bombarded by messages <laughs> by our <laughs> listeners because, I mean... The learning, the hustling, the jobs, the experiences, like, wow, man, it's just brilliant. Um, and, well, hope to see you next time. Yeah, definitely. Appreciate you having me. Thank you so much.